This is Unfilter, episode 359 for April 21st, 2021. As states across the country meet today's deadline to allow all Americans 16 and over to be vaccinated, tonight in many regions appointments are open, lines have vanished, and vaccine hesitancy remains a problem. With half of all adults in the U.S. having received at least one shot, vaccinating the other half may not happen as quickly. This was the light at the end of the tunnel. The acceptance is not as broad as what we hoped it would be. Tonight, for many, testing and vaccinations have never been so accessible. The question now, will Americans follow through? Hello, friend, and welcome into the People's History Podcast. It's been a little extra time since we got together, since we were gathered together here. I had a great Wednesday off, though, one of those perfect, beautiful days in the Pacific Northwest and in mid-April, and we barbecued and we celebrated birthdays, and it was it was really great. Coming back to the news, on the other hand, that's been that's been an S-show, my friends, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to call it that here in the beginning of the show because... I don't want to say something like shit and get people upset right at the start of the show. This episode was a hard one to put together because there's so many things we could talk about since the extended time. And some of what you might be expecting in today's show might actually be covered in the overtime. So after we get done covering all of the essentials here, head over to unfilter.tube and listen to the overtime because or watch it because <laughs> it's a video and uh, catch the extra stuff that didn't make it into this episode because... I wanted to take a little bit of time and talk about COVID again. I know. But it feels like we're really at a turning point, a prefaces, a a <clears throat> like at the at the threshold of shit really getting bad or at the threshold of us actually getting life back to normal. And I look around, I look at Canada and I look at India and I look at these different countries, Germany, and it seems like there's signs that it could get real bad. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm tracking all of the different things that seem like, you know, the different variants and the, the different reactions to the to the vaccines. And I want to start there with the vaccines, because that's been the big word this week is or the big buzz phrase, I should say, is vaccine hesitancy, vaccine hesitancy. It's slowing down our progress and it's going to allow a new wave of Corona to come in and get us all sick and the variants will take over. And I. I want to kind of break down if there is any hesitancy, really, and what might be causing it if it is real. We want to turn now to the coronavirus emergency. CEO of Pfizer saying a booster shot may be needed after a year and possibly one every year after that as concern grows over vaccine hesitancy. Amid that surge in new cases, our Whit Johnson is at the vaccination center in New York with the latest. Whit, good morning to you. Good morning. Vaccine hesitancy and booster shots. Let's not have that conversation together. When you tell somebody that vaccine shot you're getting that got you a little sick or maybe got you a lot sick, you're going to need a booster every year. People don't like that. And if anything, that's going to slow the roll. But I actually don't think that's a play here. But I do want to talk a little more about these boosters before we get to the rest of this. And as new variants continue to emerge, the leading vaccine makers are beginning to test Booster shots. They're experimenting with a number of different ones, and 13 Action News anchor Jackie Kosick shows you the four leading strategies. 
Studies are showing the COVID-19 vaccines are less effective against certain variants, particularly the one discovered in South Africa. So Pfizer, Moderna, and J&J are all responding, and you could call their first strategy a basic booster. It's the exact same formula given one extra time, a third shot in the case of Pfizer and Moderna. That has the advantage of simplicity. Dr. Alessandra Set says it's the easiest approach to test and manufacture. And the idea is to have strength in numbers. Basically, you can stop a virus by starting your immunity at a much higher level. Even though the variants can dodge some of the antibodies, the concept is to simply boost the total number of antibodies. But doctors say timing is key. Theoretical possibility that if I get a booster of that same vaccine, especially within a fairly short period of time, I'll have an even stronger reaction. This is clearly the easiest one for them to get approval for because it's already getting in people's arms right now. So they can say, oh, look, look, it's already safe. We're just going to redose them. So that's probably the clear moneymaker. Just like your body needs to rest and recover after a workout, rest may also play a role in vaccines. The second strategy is called a strain-adapted vaccine. This is when scientists come up with a new recipe specifically for a variant. Pfizer, Moderna, and J&J are all working on shots with recipes tailored to the spike protein in that South Africa variant. But what if a country gets hit with a different variant or the virus mutates again? Moderna and J&J are testing a third strategy called a multivalent booster. It's a blend where scientists mix the original vaccine with an updated recipe in the same shot. That's what we get for influenza each year. Influenza changes, mutates, and so we need new vaccines each year. The downside is that a multivalent shot can be a more complicated to manufacture and test. For now, Pfizer is not pursuing it. The fourth strategy is the most experimental. Some doctors call it the spike plus approach. Spike is really the best target for neutralizing antibodies, but there are several other proteins. That was Jackie Kostek reporting. Now, some companies want to make a vaccine that goes after multiple spots on the virus, not just the spike protein that a lot of the current shots are based on. Whatever the strategy, though, companies are hoping to have the first booster shots authorized and ready by the summer in case they're needed. Now, I don't really think this is adding to vaccine hesitancy, um, although it could play a contributing factor because I have to be completely honest with you when I hear the idea of me having to get booster shots, I kind of just think, well, maybe I just should nope out of the whole thing anyways. And it's a very selfish decision. And I don't actually say, I'm not saying this is what I'm going to do, but that, you know, devil on my shoulder says, well, look at man, um, you're not in your forties yet close, but you're not there. And you got a really good shot. If you get this thing, it's not going to really rock you that much. Uh, you may even be asymptomatic, possibly not even know you've had it. It's even possible. I actually did have it at one point already. And I don't really see a lot of people. So it's not like I'm risking getting grandma sick, right? I don't I haven't seen my grandma in over a year. I go from my house to my studio, from my house to my studio, from my house to my studio every day. That's all I do. <laughs> I mean, it's not totally true. Right. But when I go out, I mask up, you know, like, let's be honest, like I, as thing as far as like a super spreader, I am not. And I don't have to get a booster for for just getting it if I ever get sick with coronavirus because I'll just deal with it then and produce my own natural antibodies. Now, I don't actually think that's a winning strategy, especially if vaccines are tied to travel restrictions and whatnot like that. There's other factors.
But I could see some people running through this line of thinking, thinking, geez, it's almost easier just to deal with the side effects of the virus if I do get it. And then I don't have to participate in getting a shot every year because I hate shots. Right. I could see people totally following that line of thinking. But I I think it's not so much hesitancy. That's the term that's being used as vaccine hesitancy. I actually think, if anything, more people are more inclined to get the vaccine than ever right now. I think we're seeing more universal acceptance towards a vaccine at historic proportions than we've ever seen, where it's just become common assumption that you're going to get the vaccine. I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime. I think it's actually, I think they've had a lot of success. But I do think it's likely that you're going to have a wave of eager, ready-to-go consumers. They're going to be the first in line to get their vaccine, and you're going to have a certain limited amount you know, maybe it's a hundred million. I, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's not. But you're you're gonna have an amount of people that and once you run through that amount of people, you're gonna get to the people that are not as likely, not as inclined. And so the daily rate will drop. But I think what the strategy here is is to to kind of like turn up the alternate reality instead of addressing these people and their concerns, they're gonna like make this fake fake notion of hesitancy created by some fake straw man argument. They'll take some one statistic or one number or, or or one anecdotal instance and they'll magnify it the way they do with the lens of the media and they'll make an entire reality out of it. Like they do with everything. But it just seems like simple math. You're, you can't keep up the numbers forever. Eventually, you're going to burn through everybody who was pretty much willing to get the vaccine, and then it's going to slow down quite a bit. That's not necessarily hesitancy, though. <laughs> it's a different thing. And I, I wonder where this leads us, because it honestly looks like we are kind of on the precipice of shit getting real bad again. The numbers are not looking good in some places. India's back in full lockdown again. India is in the grip of a second wave. A deadlier and fast-spreading one this time around. Young and old, the virus has spared no one. Taking a breath is a struggle. And doctors constantly monitoring every patient. Many just lifeless because of the disease. The Bandra Kurla Complex COVID Center with over 2,200 beds is one of the largest facilities for COVID-19 patients. One of the most fascinating things about this pandemic has been watching coverage outside of the United States. The same situation, but watching the coverage, you know, like early on, with it was all about Trump here in the States. Every story led with Trump about covid and then I'd watch something from India or Germany or, in that case, that was Sky News, so Australia. And they were dealing with the same horrible situation, but it wasn't all one man's fault in those scenarios. And it was just a real fantastic lesson in how narrative is built and how reality is built. And it starts just at an assumptive, assumptive conversational level that they just – the way they talk and present something – and that is where the manipulation actually lies in, in how it is presented to you, the context and what is presented to you, the casing, the setting, the structure, the, the narrative of the whole thing. That is where the manipulation lies. Uh, and, and so when you watch Sky News's coverage of India or or you watch coverage from the BBC of the situation in Germany, 
and you see it through a completely different set of constructs and narratives, it really lays for bear how bad the U.S. corporate media has become. And so on that corporate media, it's really something to watch one of these half-assed, dishonest, remote, holier-than-thou type of takedowns that you see so often on the uh, Frodo Kumo show. So Kumo's up there denouncing Ted Cruz for daring not to wear a mask, even though Ted Cruz is vaccinated. And I want to play this clip because this is the other big conversation recently, but I've heard it a lot this last week. If I'm fully vaccinated and it's been three weeks or longer, obviously, why do I need to wear a mask? If you're vaccinated and I'm vaccinated and we're sitting across the table from each other, do we really still need to wear the mask? Genuine question. Dr. Fauci says yes, because of variants, because of asymptomatic spreading, because of other low risk factors it's there's, that are still actually a factor. He says yes. Others say the science doesn't necessarily bear that out. That's been another debate that's been coming up. And so, of course, Kuman had to get in on it because it's ratings. Solidarity behind science. We know that that's what it takes to bring COVID numbers down. And we know that is what is needed to end this pandemic. All right. Solidarity behind science. So going forward, we're going to remember as a group here, science is a process. It's not a static thing. It's not an item. It's a process. So I don't know if that's a quite, quite, quite the correct use of the term science. In this context, but that's what Kuman's going with. Solidarity behind science. When you say something like that, too, you could do a little mental game and replace it with the Lord, with Christ. Solidarity behind the Lord. Solidarity behind Christ. Solidarity with the Holy Spirit. It's it's the same thing. They're they're doing the same thing, and I know that's a. That is, it's such a cliche thing to bring up that it's almost quaint at this point, but it's still very noticeable. And I don't even know if they realize they're doing it or if they're employing it as a manipulation tactic or what, but it's there and it's obvious. Solidarity behind science. We know that that's what it takes to bring COVID numbers down. And we know that is what is needed to end this pandemic. All of us know it. So what was all this? When do we get our liberty back? on Capitol Hill today by Republican Congressman Jim Jordan. It's people who believe what he believes who don't want to get the vaccine. Why isn't he talking to them about giving the rest of us our liberty back? It ends when they get our crap together, right? And you get the vaccines and you get to a certain point and you have too many people on the right who don't want to get the vaccine. Science tells us cases are rising because the variant is bad. And you have 23% of Americans fully vaccinated. Now, a lot of that 23% are the older and the vulnerable, and that's going to help us. But if we don't get 50, 60, 70%, and we're not doing the mitigation, it's going to take more time. Everybody knows that. Okay? So that's why it is baffling when you have people like Senator Ted Cruz joining Rand Paul and ditching his mask as they walk the halls of Congress. Cruz explains, at this point, I've been vaccinated. Everybody working in the Senate has been vaccinated. No, not your staff. Not a lot of people in the media. How does he know if his staff has been vaccinated or not? And, you know, I want to I think let's let's play that exchange that he was referencing there. Jim Jordan, he just kind of attacks Jim Jordan. I'm not a big fan of Jordan. Uh, He's kind of an obvious jerk, but I I don't think it's fair just to take shots at him, not explain what he was trying to do. He was he was talking to to Dr. Fauci and he was trying to get a, a, a bar, a baseline, trying to get an answer on. What is a metric or a threshold we are going by in which we can then resume standard liberties as afforded to us by the Constitution? Chairman, Dr. Fauci, when is the time 
When is the time? This is Representative Jordan asking Fauci, who forgot to turn his mic on at first. Well, in your written statement, you say, now is not the time to pull back on masking, physical distancing, and avoiding congregate settings. When is the time? When do Americans get their freedom back? Can you put your microphone on, please? Sorry. When we get the level of infection in this country low enough that it is not a really high threat. What is low enough? Give me a number. What, I mean, uh, we, we had 15 days to slow the spread, turned into one year of lost liberty. What metrics, what measures, what has to happen before yeah. Americans get my, their freedoms back? My message, uh, Congressman Jordan, is to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as we possibly can to get the level of infection in this country low that it is no longer a threat. That is when. And I believe when that happens, you will see. What determines when? I'm sorry. What? What measure? What, I mean, are, are we just going to continue this forever? Or when, does, when, does, no. when do we get to the point? What measure, what standard, what objective uh, outcome do we have to reach before, before Americans get their liberty and freedoms back? You know, I, you're indicating liberty and freedom. I look at it as a public health measure to prevent people from dying and going to the hospital. You don't think Americans' liberties have been threatened the last year, Dr. Fauci? And here we find ourselves with a fundamental difference in how those that are on the right and those that are on the left potentially see this. Not everybody, but some. One is about safety and protecting people. The other is about liberty and freedom. And I think... Some put more importance and weight on taking care of people and protecting people regardless of the freedom cost, if you will. I'm sorry, I can't just put it in a better descriptor. And then you have people on the other side, typically the right, who put more weight behind things like liberty and freedom of speech and self-governance. They put more importance behind those things and kind of say, well, it's up to the individuals to take care of themselves. And you have these two different school of thoughts, which just those the, the basic those two different basic approaches fundamentally change how these two different groups govern, and it it fundamentally influences every aspect of decision making of governing. And here you see it on display because you got two showboats. You got Jim Jordan who loves the camera, and you got Dr. Fauci who loves the camera. And they are putting it on display for all of us the way the two realities view this situation. And you can see how it played out with the different governors. So I just I want you to watch that with that kind of perspective in mind. You know, I, you're indicating liberty and freedom. I look at it as a public health measure to prevent people from dying and going to the hospital. You don't think Americans' liberties have been threatened the last year, Dr. Fauci? They've been assaulted. Their liberties have. I don't look at this as a liberty thing. Congressman Jordan. Well, that's obvious. As a public health thing. But, but, uh, the, I disagree with you, you on that. You think the Constitution completely. is suspended during, a, during a, a, a virus, during a pandemic? It's certainly not. This will end for sure when we get the level of infection very low. It is now at such a high level, there's a threat again of major surges. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci over the last year, Americans' First Amendment rights have been completely attacked. And they're both right. See, Fauci is saying, which is what my concern has been this whole episode, is we are uh, we well, actually I'll let him play. I should let him say it. we is worried about another wave of surges in the states. Sure. 
when we get the level of infection very low. It is now at such a high level, there's a threat again of major surge. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, over the... Jordan's not even listening to him, of course. So Fauci is worried about another wave of surges. I think what Jim Jordan is worried about, and he's not particularly articulating well, is about new precedent we are setting by compromising what is traditionally considered the quote-unquote freedoms of U.S. citizens. And I think some people, uh, like in his position, are worried that while we are temporarily suspending some of those, we may never get them fully back again. And if that is true, then perhaps the cost was too high. But the conversation isn't going that far because neither one of them are listening to each other. Fauci saying, hey, man, I'm worried about a couple of more waves. If we don't get this right, we are so screwed. Have you seen what's happening in India right now? Last year, Americans' First Amendment rights have been completely attacked. Your right to go to church, your right to assemble, your right to petition your government, freedom of the press, freedom of speech have all been assaulted. I mean, for a year now, Americans haven't been able to go to church. Even today, when they go to church, they're limited in the size of, of, of worshipers who can meet. Your right to assemble? Oh, my goodness. We had a curfew last fall in Ohio. You had to be in your home at 10. In Pennsylvania, you had to be in your home. Uh, when you're in your home, you had to wear a mask. In Vermont, when you're in your home, you didn't have to wear a mask, Dr. Fauci, because you weren't allowed to have yeah. people over to your house. Yeah, yeah Congressman Jordan. Your ability to petition your government well, for a year, for a year, American citizens haven't been able to come to their capital to petition their government to talk to their representatives and freedom of the press. These very pictures that Representative Scalise just showed you and talked about, Guess what? The press isn't allowed in those facilities. The press is not, the Biden administration will not let the press in there. And certainly freedom of speech. I mean, freedom, uh, governor of our third largest state meets with, with physicians and, that, and that's, that, that video is censored because they dare to agree, disagree with Dr. Fauci. So I just want to know, when do Americans get their First Amendment liberties back? You know, I don't think anything was censured because they felt they couldn't disagree with me. I think you're, you're making this a personal thing, and it isn't. It's not a personal thing. I think he is kind of making it a personal thing a little bit. So something that happens is sometimes in some of these organizations, what Fauci says becomes gospel, and then everybody goes by what Fauci says, and then Fauci changes his mind because the science changes, and everybody says, oh, my God, how could, how could he have been so wrong? And it's like he's in this no-win scenario because he can't really change his mind without getting called out. But when he does change his and, – and if he doesn't change his mind, then he could be preaching old, outdated information. Like it's just this no-win scenario. I'm not a real massive Dr. Fauci fan necessarily because I feel like during the election we watched him become a politician. We saw clearly that he was a politician. And, of course, anybody that's been in the government as long as he has is. But – I think I have to respect the position that he has been put in here, and it is a no-win scenario for that man, and I feel bad for him because there's just no winning, and then he has to sit down there and, and have showboaters like Jim Jordan uh, go after him for issues that are probably worth discussing but really have nothing to do with Fauci. You know, like it's not necessarily like Jim Jordan was wrong about any of that stuff. It's just not the right output for it. It's not the right avenue for it. And if you, go, if you wanted to run down a list of crap and decisions we've made because of the pandemic— the stuff he said, he's the stuff he rattled off is like the least on my list. <laughs> um, so I, I find watching that to be kind of sort of, if you were studying the human race, fascinating because you see the two sides and what they hold to be more important in, in sort of grand high level terms. And you also see the political game that both sides have to play there as well.
They both have a job there to do. I've been wondering who's doing the job against Johnson and Johnson. I'm not necessarily saying this, guys, but if I was going to fry a little conspiracy bacon here on the show, because it's been a minute, I almost wonder if there isn't a hit piece against Johnson and Johnson out right now. You know, there's a hit against the company because you got Moderna and Pfizer. I mean, there's big, big money in this vaccine game, especially when the long-term game is boosters. There's real big money. Johnson and Johnson was kind of the in it to win it company. Everybody thought long term it was really kind of going to be Johnson and Johnson that had the most sales, that had the the easiest use and um, the most consumer appeal, I guess you could put it. And now they're down on the ropes. Johnson and Johnson is exposed. It's hit after hit. Sites have been shut down. Questions have been raised. And now, now we have exclusive information from a Baltimore facility where doses of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine were ruined because of dirty people. NBC News has just obtained an FDA report on the Baltimore facility helping make Johnson & Johnson vaccine. That report identifies serious violations at the emergent facility where ingredients for 15 million doses of the vaccine were ruined. Let's bring in our own Heidi Prisbolo. Heidi, what do we know about this? It doesn't sound good. Yeah, Steph, this just obtained by our colleague, Laura Strickler, finding that there were serious violations in a number of categories. It wasn't just one thing, Steph. It talked about the uh, conditions not being clean and sanitary, about the equipment being not sanitary, as well as not the right size, as well as potential cross-contamination. So, Steph, this being just the latest setback. Man, poor Johnson & Johnson. In Johnson & Johnson, for Johnson & Johnson. Johnson & Johnson was supposed to be the vaccine of choice stuff and so but instead they had dirty wrong sized equipment i just i don't know it, could be, it just feels like feels like people ganged up on johnson and johnson it, i mean i'm sure it's it's none of that but you could see a world where like in a smoke filled room with uh, whiskey and cigars some big uh, big money pharmaceutical ceos are sitting around going you and i work together Let's take out Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> but the COVID, the COVID coverage is just horrible. Like I joke like that because you just never really know, right? The the corporate media has absolutely completely been complicit in botching the response to COVID, just like our leaders have, just like government officials have. They just like the politicians, local government, all of them have botched it in some way. And the media has absolutely been part of that. And now we have this this um now, they're calling it an investigation. I call it more like a hit piece itself against CNN from Project Veritas. These never get a lot of attention anymore. In fact, so little attention, CNN doesn't even have to respond to this anymore. Even though absolutely outrageous stuff is said by a technical director who had his dick teased on a tender date to come out and hang out with a pretty lady or a boy, I don't actually know, uh, and ended up getting his dumb ass recorded saying stupid shit about CNN. That's what happened here. And so they got him. They got him. It wasn't even all that sophisticated. And they got him saying some really outrageous stuff. But CNN doesn't have to say crap because nobody talks about it. Nobody takes this Project Veritas stuff seriously, even when there's a few good nuggets in there. COVID, gangbusters are raiders. COVID, gangbusters are raiders, right? This is Charlie Chester, a CNN technical director. 
which is why we constantly have the death toll on the side. Let's make it higher. Like, why isn't it high enough, you know, today? Like, it would make our point better if it was higher. It's fear. Like, fear really drives numbers. Fear is the thing that keeps you too dead. If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. If it bleeds, it leads? Yeah. No, no one ever says those things out loud, but it's obvious. What you're about to see is so shocking. Admissions about COVID, its impact, the bias, and things that we've all suspected but have never been able to confirm until now. So I think this is in part uh, this guy right here. He's a, he's a he's a bit of a blowhard himself, and I don't think anybody takes him seriously. But additionally, is are you surprised or shocked at all that? A technical director at CNN says if it bleeds, it leads and that they were putting the COVID death count counter up to be dramatic. I'm not shocked by that at all. This is a product they're making after all. It's not like it accidentally gets put together. It's an engineered product. <laughs> like thought goes into why this stuff's there. So it should be exposed. People should know. But let's not be drama queens and claim that it's shocking and dramatic no, it's it's actually, frankly, 100% what I would expect them to be talking about behind the scenes because I know they're all cynical bastards that are putting something together to keep people's eyeballs glued. We all know that. That's why it's not shocking. So when these Project Veritas guys come around and go, be brave and expose CNN, it's so shocking, it, it kind of loses the impact a little bit, and I think they harm their own coverage. ...about COVID, its impact, the bias and things that we've all suspected, but have never been able to confirm until now. Sad news doesn't do well with ratings, you know? Like, if you can get someone in passion, that does really well with ratings. Sad news, back to back to back, doesn't do really well unless it affects them directly. COVID, gangbusters with ratings, right? Which is why we constantly have the death toll on the side, which I have a major problem with that we're tallying how many people die every day. Because I've even looked at it and be like, look at it and be like, let's make it higher. Like, why isn't it high enough, you know, today? Like, it would make our point better if it was higher. And I'm like, what am I rallying for? That's a problem yeah. that we're doing, you know? Like, this special red phone ring. Yeah. And they pick it up, and it's like the head of the network being like, there's nothing that you're doing right now that makes me want to stick. Put the numbers back up because that's the most enticing thing that we have. That's an interesting one. So the production crew gets a call from the executive branch that says, nothing you're doing is making anybody stick. Put the numbers back up because that's the most enticing thing we had. That, I hope, gives you an insight into what they're doing. They're not doing this to inform you. That's not even the slightest bit of the motivation. And you really need to be aware of that. So put it back up. So like things like that are constantly talked about. I mean, there's no such thing as um, unbiased news. Man, how many Tinder dates did this guy go on? Any reporter on CNN. Okay. What they're actually doing is they're telling the person what to say. It's always like leading them in a direction before they even open their mouth. And the only people that we will have on the air, for the most part, are people that have a proven track record of taking the bait. 
I think I think that is probably the most uh, important aspect of this that was exposed by this. So I kind of want to go through it again if we can, because that how they pick their guests and how they pick who's going to do the analysis on CNN or in their roundtables. It's not always necessarily an implicit agreement. They don't always have like a guest on. They say, "Okay, you're going to say this about this topic, right? You're going to you're going to do this and then you're going to react this way. Correct. Yeah, you're going to do that. That's not how it works. I mean, maybe that happens sometimes, but how it works, it's really a two-punch combo. Number one, it all starts with picking the right guest. That is someone's job to get that just right. You you monitor their social media. You monitor their media presence on other shows. If they're on podcasts, whatever they're doing, you monitor to see what their opinion is on a topic. Before you even reach out to them to be like the person in the box that responds to a news story, you already know how they feel about that news story because it's a producer's job to stalk that person and know how they think on this stuff if they're a regular go-to. So that's job number one. Then job number two is the leading questions and phrasing by the anchor. The anchor then leads the person and prompts them to go into a certain direction. And then once somebody's been on the air a few times, you know, they've been a CNN resource or NBC or whoever, they get the game and they know what their role is there to do. And so they know what the host is kind of looking for. And that makes somebody a repeat go-to guest, especially if they're easy to work with. That's something people don't understand unless they've been involved in media production. And that's something that Charlie Chester here is exposing, but this has gotten zero play. What they're actually doing is they're telling the person what to say. It's always like leading them in a direction before they even open their mouth. And the only people that we will have on the air, for the most part, are people that have a proven track record of taking the bait. There you go. Uh, there's even more that came out, a lot more, but I, you know, you can go find it on their channels. I don't need to play all of it, but I thought it was, you know, it's worth discussing. But now it gets so little play that CNN has just totally, totally brushed it off. They don't care. It doesn't. I, that guy hasn't even been fired or anything. <laughs> that guy's still working there, as far as I can tell. They just give zero, zero shits. But Biden wants you to know that he did it. Everybody, he did it. When tomorrow's vaccine and vaccination numbers come out, it will show that. Today, we did it. Today, we hit 200 million shots in the 92nd day in office. <clears throat> 200 million shots in 100 days, in under 100 days, actually. Come on. It's an incredible achievement for the nation. And here's the context. You know, at the pace we we're moving when I took office, it would have taken us more than 220 days, almost seven months, seven and a half months to reach 200 million shots. It's interesting that he's going this route, uh, that he's kind of, this is kind of Trumpian. Come on, man. Instead of marking this uh, milestone in April, we would not have uh, seen it until early September at the earliest. Some experts say that the rapid vaccination effort has already saved tens of thousands of American lives. Come on, man. I'll cut it there. The MSNBC feed has that, has a has a catch in the audio there. So I, I don't want to play too much of that, but he's taken up. He's definitely taken his victory lap. He feels like he has earned a victory lap. We have more to get to, and I'm going to put some of that in the overtime because there's some big developments in the high note this week. Now we're not ending the show here, but I wanted to cover what's happening is in Wisconsin. Wisconsin is essentially getting sick and tired of the money going to other states. And how many times have I said this guys, that states would want, They'd want in on it. 
And so this is the governor of Wisconsin in a little like Q&A session that's been produced via Twitter questions. And it's just, well, it's got some cutesy music. But what the governor says is definitely worth your attention. We, we will join our neighboring uh, states, Illinois and Michigan. They have legalized recreational marijuana. And frankly, I'm kind of tired of talking to the governor from Illinois. Uh, whenever I get get with him, he thanks me for having uh, Wisconsinites crossing the border to buy marijuana. Uh, Isn't that against the law? I'm oh, I'm absolutely positive that's against the law. So is he really saying that the governor of Illinois says, hey, thanks for all your citizens breaking the law and coming over here and buying pot. Is he really saying that? Uh, the, the sales tax the money goes to them instead of us. So first of all, it's something that we can, we can regulate it. It can be safe and it can be taxed. And it, it will, uh, our estimation, it'll bring $165 million in the second year of the, uh, of the biennium. So when will this happen? Woof. When your legislators will agree with me on this issue. So feel free to contact them. <laughs> uh, I was just talking to a legislator today that uh, uh, a Republican who indicated that he he believed that um, uh, legalizing recreational marijuana is the right thing to do. So it's not just a Democrat thing. It's a thing that people in Wisconsin have said they want. Yeah, there you go. Governor Tony saying, go harass your uh, representative. Let's get this passed. And it's you heard him say it there. And this actually is the big mark. It's not just a Democrat thing. It has absolutely now become a Republican thing. And that's why your good buddy, your old boy, Boner, is he's a good old Republican, and he's all in on the cannabis. Your views on, on uh, cannabis obviously have, have evolved, and now you it's the, is it the medical side of, of cannabis? I don't know how to answer this. I mean, this is really uncomfortable. I'm, uh, I'm old. Your views on, on uh, cannabis obviously have, have evolved, and now you it's the, is it the medical side of, of cannabis that, uh, that initially uh, attracted your interest? But not just that. You think it should, I guess, be decriminalized? Now, I got to say, Boner got out of politics just at the right time. He's still sharp enough to know how to roll with even idiots like this guy on the squawk box. And and Boner even knows that his reputation is being is being a smoker and a drinker. And he rolls and tucks with that as well. And he makes it cool for a good old boy Republican to be okay with cannabis because there's money in them farms. Is that your view? Well, listen, I. uh, uh I was always against cannabis. I thought it was a gateway drug. I, you know, but I watched uh, state after state uh, approve the use of cannabis in their states. And, uh, you know, somebody in politics, you have to pay attention to what the people are saying. And uh, by the time I left office, uh, I thought to myself, my goodness, uh, I drink uh, red wine, I smoke cigarettes, and somebody wants to have a joint, what the hell do I care? And, uh, and then... Uh, I got interested in uh, the medical side of this. Uh, kids with uh, having seizures and how cannabis was helpful to them. Soldiers with PTSD or, or chronic pain problems uh, where they didn't want to use opioids. And so uh, that's what got me interested in, in yeah. this. Uh, and then I've watched now 36, 37 states uh, approve the use of cannabis. Uh, it's time for the federal government uh, to get the hell out of the way. Shepard Smith here. Hey, Shep. So, so why is it time? Why now? Why all of a sudden does John Boner all of a sudden have this, uh, 
this love for cannabis after after while he was in a position of actually doing something about it he was anti cannabis could it could it have something to do with the fact that cannabis is one of the fastest growing industries in the US Hey, good morning, Andrew. Very interesting introduction to this story. Uh, U.S. legal cannabis sales forecast to top $24 billion in 2021, a 40% increase year over year, making pot one of the fastest growing U.S. industries and multi-state operators that have the ability to sell medical and recreational cannabis, the only way to invest in those trends. The CEO of Cresco Labs believes the industry is headed for a super cycle. A super cycle. A super cycle of debt? Nope. <laughs> you know it's coming, right? I mean, they, they're preparing themselves. As each state begins to legalize, it, it speeds everybody up. Uh, and I think that's pretty wild. Um, okay, so how about a little good news before we get out of here? And not that that wasn't good news. That was good. How about more good news? What an opportunity for me to actually say that. It's been a little bit. How about more good news? I wasn't I wasn't clear. I was not sure what... Uh, what Joe Biden was going to do in regards to the Afghan withdrawal. And after some delay and some worry, we have, well, we, ha- we have an announcement of a, of a delayed withdrawal, but it's a, but a withdrawal, but it's going to be a withdrawal. Hopefully. Hopefully. We'll see. American troops shouldn't be used as a bargaining chip between warring parties in other countries. You know, that's nothing more than a recipe for keeping American troops in Afghanistan indefinitely. I also know there are many who will argue that we should stay stay fighting in Afghanistan because withdrawal would damage America's credibility and weaken America's influence in the world. I believe the exact opposite is true. We went to Afghanistan because of a horrific attack that happened 20 years ago. That cannot explain why we should remain there in 2021. Oh! Later, uh, he said, uh, we can't be expected, and I'm not kidding. Later, he said, we can't be expected to unify Iraq, caught himself, and then said Afghanistan. I hope that happens. The Pentagon is in the process of crapping their pants over it right now. So I am actually kind of skeptical that he'll be able to pull it off. But man, am I hopeful that he'll be able to pull it off. And then last but not least, and we talked about this more in my Linux Unplugged podcast this week because of the tech angle of this story. But you really can't help but feel just kind of great about the fact that human beings have now flown a rotocopter on another planet. A true Wright Brothers moment. Celebration this morning at JPL Mission Control. Stunning images just coming in as NASA yet again pulls off the unbelievable. Flying a four-pound autonomous chopper, a drone really, on another planet. The rover Perseverance captured the entire flight, all 40 seconds of it, as it lifted off around 3.30 a.m. Eastern Time, climbing to an altitude of about 10 feet before settling back down again on the Martian surface. If all goes as planned, it's just the first of many flights to come. We really want to push our vehicle to the limit. It's not every day that you get to test a rotorcraft and do an experiment on Mars. So after the third flight, uh, just warning, we are going to be very uh, adventurous. NASA calls it a Wright Brothers moment on Mars, and it's carrying a tiny piece of fabric from the original Wright Brothers plane. After a 292 million mile journey, this tiny chopper had to delicately detach itself from the belly of the rover to stand on all four legs, then survive freezing nights up to negative 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. 
It's pretty awesome. And it runs Linux, and it uses open source software to help do some of its automated flight controls. How great is that? Pretty great. There's more show to be had. That'll be over on the overtime. <laughs> i got to come up with a better segue. That'll be... There's more show to be had. That's going to be packed into the overtime. Hmm. If you got a better phrase, let me know. Unfilter.show slash Discord. But the overtime, as well as the video version of this here recording, is over at unfilter.tube. Links to everything I talked about and a lot more that don't make it into this here show, that's at unfilter.show slash 359. You get links to everything. There's more to read. It's a whole lot of stuff over there. And there's also the contact form link there as well as a way to support the show at patreon.com slash unfilter. Thanks so much for joining me, and I'll see you right back here next week. 